Hello, everybody. We're very, very honored today to have with us a real man of, man of men, uh, Mr. Scott Ritter. And uh, this guy knows a thing or two about what in the world is going on, has gone on when it comes to uh, geopolitics, war and peace. And uh, Scott, thanks so much for being here. And also um, on October 26th, Ms. Scott Ritter is going to be down at Poughkeepsie, not far from here. And we're going to be doing a book signing of his new book that we'll be talking about as well. Hello, Scott. Hello, how are you? Oh, well, I'm all right, but, you know, the world is really messed up and it makes me very sad. And, of course, you know, the one of the most important things to talk about, you go back to um, February 22nd. Uh, the cover of our Trends Journal magazine. It was two days before Russia went into Ukraine. From COVID war to Ukraine war to world war. And I believe World War Three has started. And what they're calling a proxy war to me with the United States and NATO continuing to send billions and billions and countless billions of dollars of weapons to keep bloodying the killing fields and expanding the Ukraine war is not a proxy war. We're at war with Russia. So, of course, the big news of the last few days was this past Saturday, uh, they bombed out the bridge that connected Crimea uh, with, with Russia. And uh, Putin called that, quote, an act of terror. As we used to say in the Bronx, payback's a bitch. And now Russia, it's bombs away over Ukraine. So what, what do you see going on and what's your analysis? Well, I mean, the, the facts are the facts. Um, the, this war would have been over um, a long time. This war didn't need to be fought. I think we just need to put that straight up. Um, this is a war that actually began uh, you know, back in 2014 with the Maidan coup or revolution, depending which side you're on, you know, there's different terms, uh, et cetera. But the bottom line is a legally elected president of Ukraine, Viktor Yanukovych, was overthrown using unconstitutional means. And these unconstitutional means were supported by the United States, by the European Union and others. And the government that emerged um, in the aftermath of this um, coup had a decidedly anti-Russian bent that's one thing if a government wants to have government to government problems. But Ukraine is a nation that has a significant Russian population. Um, and these ultranationalists who seized power uh, were vehemently anti-Russian. And the, this anti-Russian uh, posture was acted out violently. Um, I mean, the, the events in Odessa in, uh, in, in May of 2014, where 84 people were burned to death, uh, by these ultranationalists, the assault on Mariupol, the murder, rape, torture of hundreds, if not thousands of ethnic Russians by these Ukrainian ultranationalists, all led to a situation where many Russian, ethnic Russians in the Donbas and in Crimea said, we don't want to be a part of this. Crimea, of course, uh, declared its independence and was annexed into, uh, into Russia. The Donbas declared their independence, but of Vladimir Putin said, no, 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 you're part of Ukraine. We're going to work out a peaceful resolution to this. We, and they, they implemented, or they 
negotiate something called the Minsk Accords in 2015. Germany and France were party to it. Ukraine signed on to it. Russia was an observer. And the idea is that Ukraine would put in place certain uh, legal guarantees of um, autonomy for the Russians that protected their language, their culture, their history. Uh, but this Donbass would remain part of Ukraine. But as we heard from the you know, Ukrainian president, Poroshenko, this was a sham all along. Ukraine never intended to do this. They just were buying time to build up a NATO-trained army that would forcefully take control of the Donbass and possibly Crimea. And for eight years, there was you know, conflict. 14,000 people died. That's significant. Um, so this war has been going on for some time. The, the current phase of the war, which began on February 24th, could have been avoided had NATO said, we, don't, we have no interest in bringing Ukraine into our ranks. If Ukraine had said, we'll, 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 we'll seek neutrality. Um, there were any, uh, you know, all Ukraine had to do is agree to the Minsk Accords, but none of that happened. The Russians invaded, and here we are today, eight months later. And this is a tragedy beyond tragedies, because in the West, we don't, I don't think we understand. The closest thing I think we, you know, Americans could consider to understand what's happening is a civil war where, you know, let's imagine New York was at war with New Jersey. Now, prior to the conflict, New Yorkers and New Jersey, <laughs> they just intermingled. They listened to Bruce Springsteen. They listened to New York musicians. They got along great. They married each other. Jersey girls were the thing. New York guys were the thing. And man, it was awesome. And suddenly they're at war. And the people you used to party with, the people you used to marry, the, you can't anymore because you're at war with them. Now, if you're the Russians, let's say Russia's New York and they got to go into New Jersey. Do you go in hard? Do you go in the way you're supposed to go when you go to war? <clears throat> Leveling cities, flattening territory? No, you don't do that because you love these people. They are your people. They belong. They're, they're, you're one in the same. It's bad governments. And so the Russians have gone in a little soft. Um, and in the West, we've misconstrued the uh, Russian softness for being weakness. And we've sought to exploit that by pouring in tens of billions of dollars of military assistance to Ukraine, providing even more money to financially sustain Ukraine. And the end result is this very lengthy conflict that has killed thousands of Russians, tens of thousands of Ukrainians, and America seems to be willing to wage this to the last Ukrainian. Now imagine if you're a Russian, and your whole approach to this conflict is to minimize Ukrainian death, and yet you're confronted with the fact that this proxy military, this NATO uh, force, the collective West, is demanding that you wage this conflict to the last Ukrainian. That's like telling a New Yorker, we're going to wage this war to the last New Jerseyan. You have to kill them all to win. This is an impossible situation. Impossible, but it's the one we find ourselves in. United States and NATO appear to be willing to let this conflict go on as long as possible until the last Ukrainian capable of resisting is either killed, wounded, or captured. Um, you know, so Russia now is confronted with, you know, how do we get out of this? And there's only one way out, and that's victory. But how do you, how do you declare victory against New Jersey if you're a New Yorker? You destroy Atlantic City? Do you, do you, do you destroy Trenton? Do you flatten? You know, um, Mawa, <laughs> the answer is no, but you, you've got to do something. So the Russians now have escalated. They're, they're inflicting damage on 
Ukrainian infrastructure in an effort to uh, bring the kind of non-lethal pain to Ukraine that might create the genesis for political change so that the Ukrainians can stand up and say, we're not willing to engage in this conflict until the last Ukrainian. But it's an impossible situation. This is one that, you know, history, right now there's a lot of emotions on all sides. And, you know, a lot of these emotions are fear-based and that fear comes from ignorance. So there's just a whole bunch of people out there that are totally ignorant about the reality of what's taking place in Ukraine. So it's hard to have, you know, an instant history of what's going on. Someday, historians who will be appraised of all the available facts and who will look at things with absolute neutrality will write the history. And hopefully when they write the history, it won't be just about armies moving, politicians speaking. It'll be about the absolute human tragedy that's taking place right now, because that's what this war is. It is literally a human tragedy. Here is the history before it happens. This is the Trends Journal, spring 2014, when it used to be a quarterly. Of course, now it's a daily, a weekly. And this was an article written by Dr. Paul Craig Roberts, former Assistant Treasury Secretary under Ronald Reagan. Washington is driving the world to the final war. World hegemony is not a right America has earned. And it talks about the overthrow of the democratically elected government of Viktor Yanukovych, Victoria Nuland's speech, uh, the undersecretary under Obama in um, December 2013, when she brags that we sent $5 billion uh, to non-governmental organizations in uh, Ukraine to um, teach democracy and how she was passing out cookies along with the warmonger John McCain in Maripol, or Maidan, excuse me, and, um, and exactly leading up to it. And what people don't remember that we wrote about, here's a photo. I don't know if you could see it. It was the Sochi Olympics that was also going on in February 2014 and how the American media taught the people to hate the Russians and not go to the Olympics. Security expert. It's not if, but when for Sochi Olympics terror attack. Veteran security consultant, veteran piece of garbage, Bill Rathborn, hopes that he's wrong about the upcoming Winter Olympics in Russia. But he has more than a hunch that he's not. Quote, the security threat is higher than it's ever been in the history of the Olympic Games, Rathborn told you, you, Yahoo News. Quote, in my opinion, it's not a matter of whether there will be some incident, it's a matter of how bad it's going to be. So they set the whole thing up. They taught the people to hate the Russians and then the overthrow of the Yanukovych government. So now what we're hearing, again, this just I want to just mention this to you about the propaganda here. When they blew up the bridge, this was the headline of the New York Times on Sunday after they blew it up on Saturday. 
Blast on Crimea bridge disrupts supply route. A major blow to Putin. Wall Street Journal, they don't publish on Monday, uh, Sunday, but this is Monday's. Russia moves to repair bridge to Crimea after attack. Oh, like it was no big deal. Yeah. But here is the headline after Russia retaliates. As we used to say in the Bronx, payback's a bitch. Russia unleashes a deadly barrage against civilians. It wasn't a deadly barrage that they launched against Russia that killed an estimated what, between five to 15 people and destroyed the bridge. That wasn't a deadly attack. All that was, was Russia moves to repair bridge. Yeah. No, I mean, look, again, to put it in, in, in context, I, I drive over what used to be called the Tappan Zee Bridge. I think it's called the, the, the Mario Cuomo Bridge. Um, now, um, I drive that bridge all the time. It's a beautiful bridge. It's a wonderful piece of, uh, of, of infrastructure. It's a critical piece of infrastructure that connects, um, you know, upstate with, with New York City. Um, thank you. Andrew Cuomo for building the bridge. Um, but what would happen if somebody blew that bridge up? What would the headlines be in the United States? Major terrorist attack against the bridge. You know, people died. You know, uh, commerce disrupted. Unprecedented attack against a civilian target. That would be the headline. And then when we retaliate, as we would do, the United States begins you know, a measured retaliation against a dangerous foe, um, things of, of that nature. Um, hey, America, what happened in Crimea was a terrorist action. It was a terrorist attack. And the people who carried it out are terrorists. And the people that sponsored it are sponsors of terrorists. And guess what? The people that carried it out are the Ukrainian intelligence service. That makes them a terrorist organization, and they operated on the orders of the Ukrainian government. That makes them a state sponsor of terror. But hey, don't take my word for it. Take the New York Times, which talked about an earlier terrorist attack, the assassination of Daria Dugina, the daughter of Alexander Dugin, a Russian philosopher, not a combatant, not somebody who's in the government, not somebody who makes orders, a philosopher. You don't have to agree with him, but you don't get to kill him because he says things you don't agree with. They blew, They tried to kill him, missed, got his daughter. The, the, the assassination list that her name was on, I'm on that list, by the way, published her photograph with a red line said liquidated. It is a hit list. And the New York Times has come out and said that the CIA has you know, concluded that this was carried out by the Ukrainian intelligence service under the orders of Zelensky. Now, all you have to do is look up U.S. code to understand what terrorism is. The assassination of a journalist is an act of terror. So it's the CIA that says the Ukrainian service carried out this act of terror under the orders of the president, which makes them a sponsor of terror. But nowhere in the New York Times article regarding this will you find the words terrorism, spot, you know, terrorist organization, or state sponsor of terror. If the truth is hitting us right in the face and we're ignoring it. I mean, we are allied with a horrific regime, a state sponsor of terror, a, who put out terrorist organizations who assassinate innocent people, um, there's 
Over a dozen Americans on this list, myself included, Tulsi Gabbard's on this list, um, Senator uh, Rand Paul from uh, from from uh, K- Kentucky's on this list, Ray McGovern's on this list, uh, Chris Hedges, Pulitzer Prize winning uh, you know, journalist is on this list. We can go on and on and on. What is the U.S. government doing about this? You know, if you remove the term Ukraine and insert Al-Qaeda or ISIS, and you had a hit list that is actively murdering the people on the list, and it's put out by Al-Qaeda, we'd be bombing Al-Qaeda as we speak. We'd be sending commando teams into the desert to kill ISIS leaders. But when we know it's Ukraine doing the exact same thing, targeting Americans, trying to silence them, we do nothing. We do nothing. Well, it's not about doing nothing. We're part of it. (laughs) We're paying for it. Yeah, you're right. Again, New York Times. U.S. working to supply Kiev Russian arms. Number one story. Number two, NATO chief urges allies to expand Ukraine arsenal. That little Sluttenberg or Stottenberg, Sluttenberg is what I call him, the clown playing the the uh, the NATO uh, Secretary General Stoltenberg, and arrogant. He's actually saying we're at war with with uh, with Russia. This oh, he said it just war. Just the other day, he said um, he said a Russian victory against Ukraine would be a defeat for NATO. Really, I didn't know NATO was at war with Russia. Uh, but he all but announced it. He said a Russian victory would be a defeat for NATO. Therefore, now we come to part two, which is even more manifest manifestation of his insanity. Therefore, we must continue the nuclear exercise that we had planned because we need to show the Russians what will happen if they win. Yep. This man is insane. This man literally should be muzzled, locked up, put into a dungeon. Throw away the key. That's what I call it. <laughs> That's what, you know, again, you, uh, it, it, now his, he just came out too, and they're doing that. Um, this is wonderful. NATO to hold nuclear deterrence exercise. Oh, yeah, nuclear deterrence exercise. How about being almost pregnant? There's no deterrence to a nuclear strikes. What's what's amazing about this, too, is the exercise is going to be held on Polish soil. Why, why, why hold it there? Why so close to to the to the front? It's going to involve F-35A aircraft, um, which are going to be simulating the delivery of American B-61 nuclear bombs. Now, that's OK. I mean, so far, I'm not too worried. But the, didn't the Ukrainian president just say that NATO needs to launch preemptive nuclear strikes against Russia um, to in response to Russia's new aerial assault. So now, wait a minute, I'm, the, I'm, I'm Jan Stoltenberg, and I know that I'm not going to let Zelensky pull the trigger, but perception is everything. You have the Ukrainian leader demanding that NATO launch preemptive nuclear strike, and then NATO is going to hold an exercise that, from the Russian perspective, looks like a preemptive nuclear strike. Every airplane that takes off in Poland with a simulated B-61 bomb on it, the Russians don't know that's a simulated B-61 bomb, and it could be a bomb that now within minutes could be deployed against Russian targets. This is literally insanity. Stoltenberg needs to go back and study history. In 1983, 
NATO did a similar exercise called Able Archer, where they tested the nuclear command and control of the NATO nuclear arsenal uh, after bringing hundreds of thousands of American troops into Germany, building up the force through the Reforger exercise. The Soviets were monitoring, and they before that, they were going, we're really concerned that the United States might launch a preemptive nuclear strike against us, and NATO might. Then they look at this exercise where all the troops are brought in. They're there now on the front lines. Now they're going to do a nuclear exercise. And from the Soviet perspective, it looks like NATO was getting ready to attack them. So they put all of their nuclear forces on high alert, on high alert. All it would take is one accident at that time, one accident, one mistake, and the world would have ended. Yep. Fortunately, we avoided that. We're doing the exact same thing right now. Russia cannot afford treat what's going to happen next week as a simple military exercise. Not when Zelensky's called for preemptive strike, not when the Poles are demanding nuclear action, not when a French diplomat talked about a preemptive nuclear strike, not when Stoltenberg himself is talking about flexing the nuclear muscle, not when Joe Biden's speaking of Armageddon. Russia would be literally brain dead to sit back and go, oh, we're not going to worry about that. We're not going to do anything. I, I fully expect that the Russians will put their nuclear forces on alert. And then guess what? The world we're literally that close to lights out everywhere. One mistake, one miscalculation. I agree with you. I agree with you. And, you know, we're fighting for pieces. You know, you were here at our rally on July 23rd, along with Judge Napolitano, uh, Phil Giraldi and, and Gary Null and a great crew of people you know, that showed up. We got absolutely no press coverage. Uh, peace is a dirty word. We sent out thousands of press releases over the course of three weeks. And uh, you're not, look what happened with Musk, talked about peace, how they attacked him. You know, what I say is that what God do you believe in? Who's your God? What, if you believe in any religion, uh, does your God believe in war? What God believes in war? I mean, this to me, it's ungodly if you believe in God. And, and I, I'm very concerned that we, just as you really emphasized, we, we're this far away from, from nuclear war. And again, World War III has started. As I say, you know, they teach us in school. World War I began when they assassinated the Archduke Ferdinand in Sarajevo. Oh, nothing was leading up to it. Who the hell is an Archduke and what's a Sarajevo, you know? Oh, in World War II, it began when... The Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor. Nothing was leading up to it. Nothing at all. about the, the sanctions America put on Japan and cutting off the oil supply and what was Japan was doing. None of, none of that meant, meant the same things happen now. World War Three has begun with the blowing up of the Crimea Bridge, which, by the way, this is again from the New York Times after they blew it up and, it, and then and then Russia retaliated. Though Ukrainian officials made no secret of their glee <laughs> of blowing up the bridge, of their glee, of their glee. These are sick people. Yeah. So, you know, what, what are we going to do to stop this is my question to you. One of the big problems we have is we call ourselves a democracy here in the United States, and yet uh, there's such a disassociation between the power, you know, the political and economic elite that govern um, and the sheep, the people. Um, we, 
we need to stop being sheep. We need to stand up. And, speak. And, and I say this, I know everybody says this over the years, but hey, guys, this is terminal. <laughs> this is terminal. This is, um, there won't be a tomorrow. You'll get a nice brief 200,000 degree suntan. Uh, you'll be able to enjoy for about 0.000001 seconds, and then you're dead. Or worse, um, the nuclear blast takes place downrange, and you survive only to have a lingering death. And it will be death that's 100% certainty brought on by radiation poisoning, starvation, disease. Um, you know, this is your future. This is going to happen if you don't do anything about it. If there's if, if a signal isn't sent to Joe Biden to back off, um, if John Stoltenberg isn't muzzled, if Burrell isn't silenced, but it's not happening. Well, look, I'll show you what a sheep population is. The sheep population is Germany today. Germany, the nation that allowed their their senior official at the time, Angela Merkel, to have her personal phone call intercepted by the United States Intelligence Services, and they did nothing. It's a nation that allowed the United States to attack the Nord Stream 1 and 2 pipelines, shutting down multi-billion dollar critical infrastructures. It's going to lead to the economic ruin of Germany, and they're doing nothing. That's what a sheep population looks like. America is becoming a nation of sheep. You know, we got people like you and me who sit out there and we, we bleat a little bit louder than the others, but no one listens to us. As you said, you had a wonderful event in July, a wonderful event, event that should have been attended by the media, if for no other reason than to give voice to an alternative point of view. But nobody wants an alternative point of view. Nobody wants the truth. Everybody has wrapped themselves in a cocoon of consumer-driven comfort, and so long as the powers that be feed us, make us warm and happy. We don't want to rock the boat, but the, the boat's going to be rocked. It's going to be sunk. It's going to be evaporated in a nuclear holocaust unless something's done. The best thing we can do is to continue to, uh, to talk about this, but I'll say this too. One of the problems that we have in a dire situation like this is the feeling of hopelessness. I mean, come on, Gerald, World War III, you, you look at that at the face of it and you're like, it's, it's hopeless. And so when things are hopeless, people go into denial. I like to, I like to point out that there was a, a, a time in the 1980s where we had a similar level of hopelessness. You remember, Gerald, the, the, the INF concept where they were, we were deploying Pershing II missiles, Blickham missiles. The Russians put the SS-20s. We had demonstrations in Europe. Uh, we were going to go to war. It wasn't just Able Archer 83. There were other incidents where we almost had nuclear war. They were killing our officers in East Germany. We were pointing guns at them. They were pointing guns at us. And then we signed a treaty, the INF Treaty. And for one brief moment, we had this Camelot moment where two enemies, we called them the evil empire. They called us enemy number one. And we came together through the vehicle of disarmament and we got rid of weapons. And, you know, I'll just promote my book for a second. I wrote a book about this, the, the disarmament uh, in the time of perestroika. And this is not just a history of that moment which I think people have to learn. You know, that, that, that the philosopher um, George Santayana, those who fail to learn the lessons of history are condemned to repeat it. I like to point out that it's not just about learning the, the lessons of failure. Those who don't learn from the successes of history are condemned not to be able to repeat those successes. We had a wonderful success in the 1980s, the INF Treaty, the disarmament, the spirit of cooperation. We can recapture that. So this book isn't just about a history, it's a template for the future, so that if we void this nuclear 
uh, annihilation that we appear to be stumbling towards, there is hope. There is a template of success that hopefully wiser people than those who currently reside in Washington, D.C. will look upon and say, I'd like to repeat that. I'd like to do that over again. I'd like to do it right. That's wonderful. And for people that want to know more about the book, how could they get your, your book? Well, the book's out right now. Um, you can get it uh, through the publisher Clarity Press. They have a, a website. So if you just write in claritypress.com, uh, like you get it, you can get it off of Amazon, off of Barnes and Nobles. But most importantly, it's in the book warehouses. Go to your bookstore and tell your bookseller, I want that book on the shelf. And they'll place the order. And, um, and then if you'd like, maybe you can find a way to get the author to come down and he'll talk about it and sign those books for you. And the author signing the books on October 26th down at uh, in um, Poughkeepsie, uh, New York, at what is it uh, Chef Far Far Farmers Farmers and Chef, a wonderful restaurant. The event begins at 6:30. Um, it'll be a great dinner. Um, they're going to have the author, uh, some guy named Scott Ritter, is going to talk about his book, uh, and then he's going to sign copies of the book for anybody who uh, arrives. I think. Uh, the, the, the ticket includes a book. So if you if you buy a ticket to this event, you will get a book. And the author has promised me that he will stick around and sign every single copy that's put in front of him. And that's FarmersAndChefs.com? Um, <laughs> you, you've got me on that. I think if you type in Farmers and Chefs restaurant, uh, you'll, you'll, you'll get it. Um, yeah. And I'll be there as well. So thank you so much, uh, Scott, for all that you do, the fight that you put on. And, you know, this is a man that um, put out the truth about there were no weapons of mass destruction with ties to Al-Qaeda uh, in the Iraq war and more and more. And he was really attacked for doing so, as was I. You know, I used to be on Oprah, the Today Show, Good Morning America. I used to be on everyone. And when I said what would happen with the Iraq war and the Afghan war, you know, they call me anti-American. You know? I said, look, I said, if Alexander the Great couldn't pull it off in Afghanistan, if the British at the height of the British Empire into the Valley of Death, Road the 600 couldn't do it, if the Russians couldn't do it, they're right next door, what makes you think the Americans are gonna win over there? Why, how dare you say that? We haven't won a war since World War II, but we'll win this one. You know, anyway, everybody, please do what you can to to support uh, or get this book so you can learn more. Uh, support Scott Ritter because he's a man of peace and freedom. And we'd love to see you on October 26th. Thanks a lot, Scott. Thanks for having me.